0: Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on June 1st, 2014, 10.30 a.m. Today's message is The Power of Humility by Pastor Isaac Whitening. Based on scripture reading, Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11. Let's pray together as we prepare our souls to consider God's word. Father in heaven, we need your help. We recognize that we can't understand your word, can't make it live in us on our own. We ask for help from your Holy Spirit, that this word, your way of humility and power would live in us. Amen. A few months ago, I asked a number of questions at the beginning of a sermon, and I want to ask one of them again today, and that question is this. If you had to choose, thank God, because we're weak, we don't have to choose exclusively between these two options in this life. But if you had to choose between humility and success, which one would you choose? You can either be very successful in this life you have, you know, every dream that you have comes to pass. You accomplish it. Everyone who knows you thinks of you as a, just a really great individual. They praise you. They, uh, they wish they were more like you. Uh, all your goals at work or in your family, whatever your greatest goals are, you have accomplished them all. But you are a very prideful, self-centered person. Or you could be humble, truly humble in your heart but not succeed in any visible way in this world at all. Which one of those two would you choose if God made you choose between them? The very clear message of Jesus and the Bible is that there is no choice. If you could see reality the way it really is, you would immediately choose humility, with no worldly success at all, because it has by far the greatest power to make your life and the world really good. We're going to take a look today at Philippians chapter 2. I I've focused on this passage a number of times in youth group and also um, on my own, in my own devotions, and it occurred to me to preach on it today and I thought, we must have preached on this. We must have gone over Philippians chapter 2. I look back, we have not looked at this passage for at least three years in our church. It is a fantastic passage of Scripture, something that can bring great power into your life as you meditate on it, memorize it, and make it, or allow God to make it live in you. Philippians, of course, was written uh, by our friend Paul. Um, and... The point that he tries to make in Philippians chapter 2, I want to give it to you right away so that you don't miss it. The main point of the message, and this is what I think it is. I'll repeat this again later. But The main point of Philippians chapter 2, the first half of that chapter, is this. That you should make your mind think the way that Jesus' mind thinks. Make your mind think the way that Christ's does. That, is, that humility is the path to victory. Humility is the path to victory. Paul, who wrote this, was quite a unique and amazing person. I've got a picture of him up there for you. This is a typical, typical early Christian image of the Apostle Paul. Now, You may have, if you've been in church for a long time, quite an exalted image in your mind of who Paul was. I mean, he is the one, he is the one who wrote uh, the most of the New Testament of anyone. He wandered around the world preaching, and everywhere he went, it seems like hundreds or thousands of people became Christians. He started church after church. He did miracles. I mean, so many miracles. One time, just a handkerchief that he had blown his nose with, maybe, I don't know, or just used. It healed people in another city, just a handkerchief that he had touched. It was incredible. We have this exalted vision of who Paul was. And yet, Paul was, if we pay careful attention to the letters and to the New Testament, not all that impressive of a human being from the visible and worldly point of view. You can see from this image of him that he was not all that good-looking. He was a balding, middle-aged man in in the main part of his ministry. Uh, A number of places in the New Testament, even though his letters are quite amazing, uh, there were people who complained that he was not that good of a public speaker, that when he spoke in public, he didn't sound all that forceful or authoritative. He couldn't argue well. In fact, you remember this one story, don't you? I'm sure you do. In the book of Acts, where Paul went on preaching late into the night. You remember this one? And his sermon was so riveting, captivating, that uh, one of the younger people who was sitting in the balcony actually fell asleep during the sermon and fell out of the balcony and broke his neck and died. It's okay, you can laugh, because, of course, what happens afterward is Paul goes and raises him from the dead. (laughs) And this is an image of really who Paul was. He was a person who spent a lot of time weeping and in tears, although other times in incredible joy. He was able to have that deep joy even when he was in prison and suffering. Uh, He was a person who, on the inside, if you could see what his heart was like, you would immediately want to be like him. But he was a person who, on the outside, was unimpressive. He was not nearly as impressive as all the other worldly things around him. And yet, he carried in him this incredible power. Everywhere he went, the results of what he did were far beyond what logic would dictate. He preached, it wasn't that impressive and thousands of people were converted. Why? Because Paul carried in himself the power of God. And he gives us in this passage that we're going to look at today uh, a great secret on how to enter and connect with that power that is in God. So let's take a look at this verse by verse. Please do open your Bible. If you don't have one, uh, there's one in the pew in front of you. The black ones have English in them as well. I don't know if you know that. Let's take a look first at uh, verse by verse. Let's look at verse 1 here of chapter 2. Paul begins in this section speaking to the Philippians who he loved and who were a fantastic church. He praises them over and over again in this letter. He begins by saying this to them. If you have, and these are rhetorical questions, so read them as you do have, Encouragement from being united with Christ. You do already have comfort from His love. You already have fellowship or unity with His Spirit. And you already have tenderness and compassion. He begins in this section reminding the Philippians of what they already know about life in Christ, what they have already experienced of life in Christ. The Philippians have already experienced uh, Jesus as the one who is with them, strengthening them all the time. When they have troubles, they turn to him. These are a people of prayer, and he answers their prayers. They have already experienced the deep meaning that comes into their lives by knowing that Jesus loves them, that they're okay, and don't have to prove who they are just because God has loved them. He reminds them that they have already experienced the unity that they have in their fellowship, in their church, because of the Holy Spirit. They've already experienced the Holy Spirit active in their lives, doing things around them daily. And he reminds them, finally, that they have already experienced the direction that God is leading them in. God has led them in the direction of becoming more tender and more compassionate becoming not people who are more in control and powerful and uh, influencing the people around them. No, no, no. God has led them in the direction of becoming more tender, more gentle, more compassionate, understanding the sufferings and the needs of those who are around them. That's the direction that God has led them in. Paul reminds them of all this. And then in verse 2, he says, Then, since you know all this, what I want you to do is make my joy complete. Make my happiness complete. You guys are a great church, a fantastic church. Now, press in fully. Take hold of the kingdom of God so that I'll be completely happy. What I want you to do is become like-minded become completely united, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Notice that this is also interesting. What would make Paul the happiest is not for the Philippians to go out and convert the world, although he does want them to do that. It's not for them to become a big, fancy, impressive church. It's not for them to have lots of money or hire more staff. It is for them to be completely united and think the same way. In fact, have, as the Greek says, the mind of Christ. Be united in the way that Christ thought. And then in verses 3 and 4, he goes on to tell them, what this mind or mindset of Jesus actually is. What is the way that Jesus thought in his mind? What is the way that Jesus thought about life and about the world? And the simple word to describe that way is humility. It is humility. In the book, the Imitation of Christ. Has anyone ever read this book, The Imitation of Christ, by Thomas A Kempis? Raise your hand if you've ever read it, heard of it. It is, uh, it is a, a Roman Catholic book for the most part. It was written in the, uh, in the 1400s. It's a uh, very great book to read, uh, very worthwhile, very good at showing us just how uh, worthless the things of this world are compared to the things of God. It is arguably uh, the most widely read and circulated Christian work outside of the Bible. And in this book, Thomas Akempis, who was a German priest in the 1400s before the Reformation, he says that the humble man, the man who has true humility in his heart, is the most free and is the richest, and is the most powerful man in the world. He says that the man who has true humility, who considers everyone else better than himself, that is the man who is the freest, the richest, and who has the most power in the world. That's remarkable. Why would that be? We see this same kind of thought in Scripture, a very high view of humility all the way through the Bible. Uh, We see in Proverbs chapter 3, it says that God opposes the proud. He's actually against them, but he gives grace. He gives active help, and he answers the prayers of the humble. The other apostles besides Paul Peter and James both say the same thing in their letters. They say that if you humble yourself in the sight of God, in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. And of course, Jesus himself talked about humility quite often. In Luke 22, for example, Jesus says that the greatest one out of all of you, the greatest one is the one who serves The greatest one is the one who should be among you like a servant. And so this, in fact, is what your leaders should be like. Your leaders should be among you like a slave, like a servant taking on the lowest level of rights and respect in your fellowship, in your church. Clearly we can see from Scripture that God values humility very highly. He values it very highly. In fact, higher than anything that is visible. God would choose for your life that you be humble over any other accomplishment that you make. He would choose to create humility in you. There must be some reason. It must be then something that is very important in the next life. As well as this life. In verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us what humility is. And he begins by saying this. And this phrase, or these couple of phrases, have been for me some of the most powerful in this whole chapter, some of the most powerful for me over the past year. Look at the beginning of verse 3 with me. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. When I first read that, and when I first started thinking about it deeply, I couldn't grasp in my mind exactly what he meant, and so I decided to translate it for myself a little bit differently, uh, getting at the meaning of those words. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of trying to be better than other people and do nothing out of thinking that you are better than other people. As I have meditated on those words and analyzed myself, I've realized just how much in my own life has been motivated by my thoughts that I am better than someone else are my thoughts that I would like to prove that I am better than someone else. A lot of times in the busyness of our lives, we don't really think about what our motivations are very deeply. But I submit to you today that whether you feel it or not, almost everything that normal people do all of the time is motivated to a very large degree by thinking that they are better than everyone else or wanting to be better than other people. Almost everything that normal people do most of the time, the exception to this being primarily people who have been trained in the way of Jesus by the Spirit of God. Imagine what the world must look like to God as he looks down and sees all of that all of us seven billion human beings crawling around on the earth, all of us given everything we have by him. Everything we have comes only from him. And all of us scrambling to be better than each other and thinking in our deepest heart that we really are the best person around. Must be a sad sight for him. Humility is not... Uh, Humility is not thinking that you are the worst person. Humility is not thinking that you are so much worse than everyone else. Uh, We can see that because Jesus was a humble man. But Jesus, in fact, didn't think that he was worse than everyone else. Jesus, in fact, was the best human being who has ever lived. And yet, he was completely humble. And so we can see that humility is not just beating up on ourselves. I'm so bad, everyone else is better than me. In fact, that kind of attitude is very often a form of hidden pride. It is a form of pride putting ourselves down because really we think that we should be better than everyone else. Paul goes on to tell us more explicitly what humility is. In the rest of verse 3, he says, In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Humility is simply this, to consider other people, others, God and the other people around you, as more important than you. That their needs, their good, you put above your own. Humility is, as Paul goes on to say, to look not just to your own interests, not just to what you need or what is good for you, but to look primarily to what is needed in the people around you. Humility is to shift the focus from thoughts about yourself, from being hyper self-focused and insecure, to thoughts about other people. Your focus is no longer on yourself, It is on them. Humility is to lay down your rights. Here in North America, we talk often about our rights. And it is true that with respect to other people, human beings do have rights. But those rights are given by God. God is the one who gives them, and he created everything. Before God, we actually have no rights Humility is the act of laying down our rights, even before other people, for the sake of God. And therefore, humility is, in fact, an act of faith and an act of trust in God. It is, in a very real and deep way, to say to God that I am not God. I am not God. You are God. And you are in control not me. Therefore, I will accept what comes and I will follow your way and not think that I deserve or that I should be, but that I will trust you. You are in control. Tell you a little story about my wife. And I asked her if I could tell this story, so, yeah. We were coming back from May camp on the May-long weekend, a couple of weekends ago. And she was in a separate car because, praise God, we had more than could fit in the bus. And so on the way home from May camp, I don't know if you know, but the bus is a little bit slow. So I let the cars go ahead. We had two vehicles, and I let them just go ahead all the way back to Vancouver and not have to wait for the bus an extra couple hours. So the cars went ahead, and Amber was driving. She had youth in her car, she had kids in her car. It was a, it had been a really long weekend. I mean, we were so exhausted from May camp. When the weekend was over, we just crashed. I mean, we were. Uh, it was very difficult to get out of bed the next week. But so she was very tired, and she's driven, you know, for five hours back from Kelowna, and she's got youth and kids in her car. And she gets almost home. She's in Vancouver. She's almost home, and she's wondering. how how much further behind I am with the bus. And so I had, when I had stopped the bus, I would sent her a text message. And so she stops at a stoplight, and she she stopped, all right? She is in in, uh, traffic, in the road, but she stopped. And she grabs her phone, and she looks at the text message, and then she puts it down. She stopped the whole time, and as soon as she goes, woo, 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 Officer pulls her over, not only does he not give her a warning, gives her a ticket for $167, not only that, he also begins to lecture her on how she's setting a bad example for her children. Now, I'm hoping you all have sympathy for her at this point. So now, most of you know my wife, she is a very assertive person, and She was tempted in that moment to let the police officer have it, uh, which she could do very well if she chose to. I think he would have probably run away. Uh, But but in that moment, she thought to herself, you know what, and she really did think this, she thought to herself, you know what, God is in control in this situation. Even in this situation, God is the one who is in control. And I'm going to trust that this is what he wants, and I'm just going to accept it, even though it feels like all wrong to me. It's not what I want. This shouldn't happen. It's not right. But I'm going to to give up my rights, and I'm going to trust God in this situation. And several great things that happened because of that. Number one, she was able to let it go fairly quickly and be back to the right space with herself and God. And number two, it turned out we hadn't changed the address on our driver's license, and the police officer could have given her an additional ticket. And so we didn't get the additional ticket. So this is just an example of what it is, in a very small way, to act in humility, to lay down our, our rights for the sake of God. It is an act of faith. If I am not going to uh, control the way that I appear to other people, what they think of me, how my life turns out, how much money I have, what my job is, if I'm going to give up control of that, I'm going to have to trust God to take care of me. And that's why humility is so essential, because it creates a connection between me and God. If I am going to walk in true humility, I will be forced to trust God. And that will unite me with him. And when I am united with God, the power of the God who created the entire universe will flow into my life. When I am full of pride and try to defend myself and stand up for my own rights, then I cut myself off from God. And I am only in my own strength, and in my own strength, I will fail. Sooner or later, I will fail. Humility is the greatest freedom. It is the greatest wealth. It is the greatest power. In the rest of the passage that we read, Paul goes on to into this amazing, uh, almost poetry, or maybe it's even a song, that he had put together about Jesus and about the humility of this one, this one who actually was better than everyone else. And yet what he chose, what he knew was the best way, was to make himself like a slave. That's what the verse actually says. A servant, the NIV kind of tones down the translation a little bit. The word in the Greek is slave. He makes himself like a slave everyone voluntarily because he knows that this is the way to unity with God and in the end we see very clearly that Jesus way is the right way through this path of humility he does what he could have done in no other way this humility that he had in himself opens up the power of God and allows him in the end to rule the entire universe We are always running around thinking, just to get the things we need in this life, we have to control and force our way. But Jesus rules the entire universe by being humble and giving up his rights. May we meditate on his example, may we follow his teaching, and may we become people who are like him. Let's pray together. Father God, you are the highest one. You are the brightest one and the best one. We thank you for creating us, and we ask that you would set us free from this trap of pride and self-defense and living in our own strength that we have become stuck in. Teach us to live like Jesus, that your power might live in us. We might know the joy and peace that you are. Please come. We can do this in no other way but by your help. Amen.